Thank you so much for joining us today on KCSB News. My pleasure. So could you begin by telling us about the Las Cumbres Observatory Global Telescope Network? What does the network do and what is your role? Yeah, so we build telescopes and then we put them all around the world. So we currently have 25 telescopes around the world. And the idea is that as the earth rotates, there will always be a telescope in the dark. So there's some in the Northern hemisphere, some in the Southern hemisphere arranged around in longitude so that we could make observations at any time uh, and we could observe for more than 24 hours in a row. So like we, you know, with a normal telescope, it's at a fixed spot. You can only see half the sky, depending on if it's the North or the South. And then, um, you know, you have to wait until it's nighttime. Um, but this uh, network allows us to see all kinds of changing things in the sky that we couldn't see easily before. So um, we focus on everything that changes, like stars getting ripped apart by black holes or supernovae or uh, planets going around other stars. Um, so it really opens up a whole new way of seeing the universe. And you're also the leader of the Global Supernova Project. What are the specific goals of the project and how does it function? Yeah, so this is a group of around 200 people all around the Earth, all around the whole globe uh, that study supernovae. And so since we have this incredible resource, um, we um, can get great data on supernovae, like information right after the star explodes, which is otherwise really hard to get. And we can monitor supernovae for hundreds of days at a time. And then we can pair that with data from other facilities, like the SWIFT satellite that can see in the ultraviolet, that, that those uh, photons are blocked by the Earth's atmosphere. So we need to use satellites um, or we use the Hubble Space Telescope quite a bit, um, or we use other big telescopes all around the world. So um, some things we can do better than those other facilities. And sometimes those other facilities have advantages over us, but by all of these people who have access to all of these different facilities around the world working together, we can do much better science than any one of us could. And so the team has just made the remarkable discovery of evidence for a new type of stellar explosion called an electron capture supernova. Can you explain what this means in layman terms for our listeners who are unfamiliar with the concept? Yeah, this was an idea that came about about 40 years ago. And it has to do with um, a certain way a star can explode that's a different way than normal. So the, there's two normal ways a star could explode. One is a star could get really massive, like more than 10 times the mass of the sun. And it fuses elements in the core heavier and heavier until it gets up to, so, you know, hydrogen combines into helium, helium combines into carbon and so on until you get heavier and heavier elements. When you get up to iron though, um, you can't fuse iron and get energy out. Um, that reaction consumes energy. And so when you get to iron in the core, the core somehow just can't support the weight of the star anymore and collapses into a black hole or neutron star. That's a normal core collapse supernova. There's another type that involves a white dwarf star. So that's a, the core of a star that's burned out. It's not heavy enough to get up to iron, but it's maybe just carbon and oxygen that's left over or oxygen and neon. And that star on its own would just be inert and will cool off. It can't make, can't make fusion anymore. Um, but if it's in a binary system with another star, it can steal matter from that star and reach a mass where it does explode. Well, this new type of supernova is in between both of those. So the, the lower mass stars like our sun will make a white dwarf, the higher mass ones will make a core collapse supernova, but 
between about eight times the mass of the sun and 10 times the mass of the sun. We've never quite been able to figure out what goes on with those stars because they're right on the edge where they can make this white dwarf and it could just you know, lose the outer layers of the star and just leave this bare white dwarf or that white dwarf could explode in the core of the star if it undergoes certain reactions. And those are called electron capture, where basically the electrons in the atoms get smashed into the protons in the atoms. And the electrons are actually what's holding up that star, the fact that you can't pack electrons any tighter. It's basically quantum mechanics that's holding up the star. And if you take away those electrons, that causes the core collapse to collapse in a different way than with the high mass stars. And so it produces a different type of explosion. At least that's been the theory for like 40 years. And there was one supernova that was thought to be caused, that was thought to be caused by an electron capture supernova. And that's the Crab Nebula. It was today the Crab Nebula, but it was a supernova from the year 1054 that was seen by some different cultures around the world, including Chinese astronomers, left good records of it. And it was a supernova in our galaxy, which is rare. Um, and it was so bright, you know, it could be seen during the daytime. So, you know, just imagine a new point of light in the sky, maybe as bright as the moon or something like, you know, close to that. And, <clears throat> and people could see it for a few weeks during the daytime and then, and then for a long time, years at nighttime. Um, so it's something that everybody on earth the, in, at least in the uh, northern hemisphere, would have been able to look up and say, "What is going on?" You know, um, and so the signatures of that supernova we think match this electron capture theory. But then the problem was, well, why haven't we ever seen it in a normal, like, live supernova in another galaxy that we're watching? You know, and the problem also was that some of these observational records are a thousand years old. You know, we didn't have photographic evidence, so we were relying on these, just you know a few sentences written down in some historical record, um, in addition to looking at the remnant that the supernova left behind. And so we just weren't, and there was other mysteries about it didn't completely match the theory, but now with this new supernova, we can say with a pretty good confidence that the Crab Nebula supernova 1054 was an electron capture supernova. And we now know it was brighter than what we had expected from the theory because the star before it blew up lost a lot of mass in the last few, you know, uh, days or, or months of its life. And the supernova explosion was running into a lot of that material that was cast off. We saw that in this current supernova. And we think that explains a lot of, of the, the Crab Nebula now too. And the supernova is, is being called the Goldilocks supernova. Where does it get this name? Well, it's sort of right in between. It's, it's, it's you know how uh, Goldilocks, it's like, oh, there's something that's too hot and, or something that's too cold. And then this one is just right. I mean, this is, it's, it's this perfectly balanced supernova that's in between two extremes where the vast majority of supernovae are either this, like I said, a core collapse or this, what we call a thermonuclear supernova, a type 1a supernova. And from the, the lighter stars make those, the heavier stars make the core collapse. This one's right in the middle. Uh, and, uh, and perfect conditions for this. So we still don't know why there aren't more of these out there, but it could be because this sort of almost disguises itself as a normal supernova. So other people had observed the same supernova and not figured out that, you know, this was uh, an electron capture supernova. But um, it took a lot of careful work by um, my grad student, Deichihiro Matsu, um, 
he is the one who really put all the pieces of information together and figured out that, wow, there's a bunch of different indicators of what could be an electron capture supernova. This one seems to have all of them. And it's the first supernova that seems to have all of them because um, it's, it's sort of get these perfect conditions. And what does the discovery of the supernova mean for both your team and the astrophysics community in general moving forward? Yeah, it's a great combination of observations and theory so that, you know, there's people come up with ideas in astronomy, but you have to then go and check them against what is the world actually doing. And it's, and it's cool to figure out that, oh, this exists in nature. Now we have to go back to the theory and say, well, you know, we still have, we don't know if it's stars between eight and 10 solar masses, maybe it's between eight and eight and a half solar masses, maybe it's between 9.1 and 9.4 or whatever. We need to figure out where this fits into the broader picture of stellar evolution. But already this tells us a lot of things like the, the distribution of neutron stars. Like, so those are things that are almost a black hole, but not quite like they would be like the mass of the sun, but packed into like the size of like Santa Barbara, you know, it's like an incredibly dense thing. We see it uh, two different main sizes of neutron stars. And it had been theorized that maybe one of the smaller size was from electron capture supernovae. So now this may inform that. And we're in other experiments we're doing, we're trying to measure the merger of neutron stars as they merge together and explode and make another kind of explosion called a kilonova. So um, my group here was one of six in the world to discover the first uh, kilonova. And so now, um, and that was from, detecting distortions in space-time from these neutron stars merging together. So this discovery will inform how neutron stars merge together to form black holes. And supernovae are responsible for a lot of the elements in the universe. So of your body, about 72% of it is made up of elements created and thrown into the cosmos by a supernova. So Carl Sagan used to say, we are star stuff. You know, I would say, yeah, we're star stuff and supernova stuff. In fact, we're mainly supernova stuff. So these electron capture supernovae cast out a little bit different mixture of elements. So it really helps to tell us about our own origins as people and our galaxy and how the universe, how stars just live and die. Well, that's amazing. And congratulations on this discovery. Um, I wanted to ask you kind of in a broader sense about the work of the Global Telescope Network. Um, how has COVID-19 impacted your research, if at all? And would you say the discovery of the supernova feels especially important or exciting after a year of turmoil, chaos, uncertainty? Oh, yeah. it's uh, So we um, you know, have had to basically be doing our research from home and you know, taught some classes from home. Uh, and But it, for me, it's not so bad because I'm you know a well-established scientist. I, I know a lot about the research I'm doing it's hardest on the students because they don't get to go to the conferences and really see, you know, be immersed in the subject. Um, they may, you know, not have a, a partner or something and be very lonely. And so, you know, we've had to do things like, like have daily meetings in my group where we just check in on each other and see what we're doing every day. And because, uh, you know, you're not there in the office, we can just see each other and have lunch and things like that. Um, but on the other hand, we've been very fortunate. Um, you know, nobody's gotten really sick uh, in, in the whole research collaboration or, you know, like, um, and we've been able to do our robotic telescopes. So all these telescopes that we put all around the, on the, around the world are robotic. So in some sense, we were, were on the cutting edge. You know, we're better prepared than many observatories where you have, you have to have people there to do the observations. And a lot of telescopes around the world got shut down 
during COVID or, or during part of COVID, whereas um, our telescopes were largely able to keep going. So um, it's great to, to be able to, you know, we've been working on this project for uh, more than a year, and it's great to be able to finally tell people about it and release it. And it's gotten a lot of traction worldwide. Um, you know, it's been uh, more than 70 media outlets have picked up this story. And so uh, I'm, I'm very happy for both my team and my student for uh, being able to figure out something completely new about the universe, but then also to be able to tell the story to people and and for it to be able to point us in new directions. And then, you know, hopefully soon we'll be able to get some conferences going on again and uh, really be able to go and tell the story to other scientists uh, in a more technical uh, way. I mean, they can read the paper, but it's another thing to have, you know, be able to present it. Um, we also run a thing in town here called Astronomy on Tap, or at least we used to, uh, pre-COVID, and we'll, we'll pick it back up, where we give astronomy talks at a bar. Um, we used to do it at the Matrix, but now it's called Backstage. We'll probably start back up there soon. And it, it'll be great to just also tell the story to, to people in Santa Barbara, you know, over a few beers. Well, that's all I had for you, but is there anything else you wanted to add or touch on that we didn't get to? No, I think, well, I would just add that, um, you know, UCSB is a great school and has great grad students. And uh, I, I mainly teach undergrads when I teach classes at UCSB, but I occasionally teach some grad student classes. And I have like six grad students working with me and they're all doing amazing uh, research here. And we have access to such unique and amazing resources from some big telescopes to uh, this robotic network. And so uh, it, it's, it's great to, to you know, be here in the community, have people building amazing facilities and then have great students who can really exploit those facilities to find out something like you know, no human has ever known before. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. Howell and congratulations on this amazing discovery as well. Thank you, thanks for having me.